0: Are we on? Are we ready? I don't see the red light. Good evening, Lake Church. I'm looking for a red light, but I'm not seeing it. So we're going to talk anyway. We want to welcome you all tonight to the first service of 2024. Woo! Woo! We know that it's going to be a wonderful year because God is so good to each and every one of us. He's good to our church. So I just want to welcome each and every one of you here tonight. And let's just take a moment to welcome our online uh, audience watching. Sorry. This is Wednesday night Bible study, verse by verse, book of Galatians. And I don't know if you all realize, this is, I believe, week 11 Can you believe that I keep count because I'm usually over in the youth building so I have to go back and watch and I was watching I kind of got behind a week so I was watching week nine and then was able to watch 10 right after that but week nine Pastor Kevin was doing such a great job such a great job describing lava cake wasn't that great did y'all did y'all miss that one yeah I need to go back and watch week nine. It was great, but it is so good. I have been enjoying the book of Galatians, what freedom that we are receiving from the word on um, who we truly are in Christ and what he, what Jesus did for us. So I'm just excited to be here tonight for that. We have announcements. Y'all ready for announcements? We have one. I don't know if y'all can guess what it is, but I will tell you if you can't. Train Bible College. That, yes, they are on winter break right now. And I don't know about kids in school. I know some are going back tomorrow. Maybe some went back today. But I don't know about the rest of you. But if you have any family member, like a spouse, that goes to Bible school, you're ready for them to get back in, just like your kids, right? <laughs> right. So January 8th, which is Monday, will be the beginning of the new um, semester. You, if you have not signed up or participated in Trained Bible College, you can do so. You can take one class or you can take every class that they make available. All you have to do if you want more information on that is reach out and talk to Jesse Lindley. Okay? So I encourage you to do so. How many in here have actually attended Trained Bible College? (laughs) A lot of hands, but I see several hands that aren't raised. So you all need to be the ones contacting Jesse Lindley and get signed up. It's a blessing. And it's a great way for you to um, become disciplined in the Word of God and learn more. We have a lot of great instructors that will bless your lives. So the next thing we want to talk about is tithes and offering. So there's many ways to give. You can text to give. There's a church app, and I recommend the church app. I used to be the classic giver. The envelopes on the seat back, write out my check, nothing against that still. But sometimes I would forget to write out my check and be scrambling at the last minute here to do so. But with the church app, you can just open it up and do give. Put in your amount and hit send. So it's very simple. So we have many, many ways for you to be able to give. Our focus right now is on our pastor's vision 2025, right? Do you all know what that is? Do you all remember? Oh, I bet I need to tell you again. Vision 2025 is where we are... Gathering the money, gathering that harvest, right? Taking your seeds, and we're going to plant it into being debt-free. All of our buildings to be paid off by 2025. Isn't that awesome? And I don't know if you all remember the last time I was up here, I encouraged you to be dropping money in those boxes just every little bit. You don't have to wait and say, oh, i got to save a little bit more money up to give because I don't want to just give a little bit, but every little bit counts. And do you realize how fast a year will go by? It's going to go by fast. I mean, we just turned around, and 2023 was gone, right? So don't wait, because you might forget. Be a part of this blessing. You know, I heard, um, I think it was last week or the week before, Alyssa said when she was up here about 2025 that she believes she's going to be debt-free by um, giving into the kingdom. And I thought, what a great declaration that we all need to be making. So I just want to encourage you to do so. So if anyone wants to give tonight, there'll be the bucket out back that you can drop off on your way out. Or you can do your text to give or your church app as well. So if y'all would like to bow your heads, I will pray over the offering and pray for us tonight. Dear Father God, I just want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy, Father God, your goodness to us, Father God. And I thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. And Father God, just open up our ears and our eyes and our hearts so we can receive your word tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen.
1: Alright, well good evening Lake Church. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Before we get into the Word, uh, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 5, so moving right along. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, but as you're turning, I have an announcement to make. The Cross-Eyed book is in print, and we have it here tonight, so... This is the book that, uh, based on the message series that Pastor Greg and I did last year, and so we've got it in print for you tonight. I'm really excited about it, but we do have an, a, a limited amount of them, and this is a beta run, so this isn't the final revised edition, but that's coming. But you can get this tonight on Amazon. It's fifteen dollars, but you can get it tonight for ten bucks. And they're in the coffee shop, so after service... No, don't run out of here right now. <laughs> I know you're excited for it, but after service, they'll be in the coffee shop. You can go get your copy for only $10 tonight only. But on January 28th, we're going to do a book launch. We'll have all the revised final editions that day. And you might even be able to get it signed or something. Who knows? So... Anyway, we're really excited about having that information out to people. I know it blessed me when we, you know, studied for this series, just learned so much and grew in Revelation. I know it'll bless your life. That's the purpose of it, so that we can get that information out. You know, Pastor's really been urging, you know, the writing of these books, and um, one of the things that he says about it is, when the rapture happens and we leave, this stuff will still be here for people. Amen. You know, because there are going to be people here. So, you know, putting that stuff together, it's, you know, it's so that it can be there for people whenever they need it. So, anyway, just to encourage you with that tonight, if you want to get your copy, you can do that. Amen. So, uh, Galatians chapter 5, we are going to start reading in verse 1. Man, we've said so much, and I feel like, you know, the Apostle Paul in this book... Uh, he is correcting legalism in the church of Galatia. And man, he's spent four whole chapters doing it. I feel like I'm just saying a lot of the same things over and over again. Obviously, he is really trying to stress and emphasize the error of this. You know, in fact, this is the most harshest corrective language that the Apostle Paul uses toward any of the churches. You know, we've said this many times, but you know, the book, the church of Corinth, man, you go read the book of 1 Corinthians, there was some freaky stuff going on. I mean, there was division, there was drunkenness at the Lord's table, there was immorality, sexual immorality in the church. I mean, there was some, there was some stuff going on. And even in that book, he didn't correct them as harshly as he did the Galatians who were involved in legalism. Because the things that was going on with the Corinthians was they were immature, and so they were in the flesh or walking by the flesh. Um, But the Galatians had departed from Christ, which is much worse. They had actually turned from Christ to something that wasn't even the gospel anymore. And so, in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, he was just making adjustments to their lifestyle. But in the book of Galatians, he's basically yelling at them, You're going the wrong direction! Turn around! (laughs) Repent! I mean, truly repent and turn around, because they have they had really gone into a state of unbelief in regard to the efficacy of Jesus Christ and His finished work to save us, Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, it's not a mixture. It's not Jesus and you accomplishing your salvation. It's Jesus Christ and His finished work alone. Brings us into perfect relationship with God. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says this Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Stand fast. This word, these two words, stand fast, they're one word in the Greek, histemi, which means to stand. Um, But it's in the perfect tense, which means to continue, to persist, and to persevere. So he tells them to continue to stand and persevere in the liberty by which you've been made free in Christ Jesus, and don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Man, I remember reading this verse Back right after I first got saved. And I had such a sin sin consciousness that when I read it without understanding what he was saying, I saw yoke of bondage and I thought sin. I thought he was saying, don't get entangled in sin again. But that's actually not what he's saying. The yoke of bondage that he's referring to here is you going back to trying to justify yourself by your own performance rather than trusting in the performance of Jesus to justify you and make you righteous. I remember when I actually was studying that and I realized what was being said, I was blown away by that. Because he was saying that the law was a yoke of bondage. The law is not a yoke of liberty. But how many believers believe that the law was given to us to to give us the way of being made free? But Paul says here that the law was a yoke of bondage. Look at Acts chapter 15. We looked at this verse uh, previously but I want to remind you of this. The Apostle Peter If you remember in Acts chapter 15, they convened a council to discuss the issue that was going on, which was that Paul was going out and preaching the gospel, and then uh, Jewish people were coming along behind him and introducing Gentiles to the law. They were telling them they needed to be circumcised and they needed to keep the law in order to truly be saved or to be spiritual. And this caused such a dispute among Paul and these people that they went to Jerusalem and took it to the heads of the church. They took it to Peter and James and John. And they said, what do you guys have to say about it? So as they're discussing this, Peter stands up and he reminds them of the first time God sent him to preach to the Gentiles. And we also read that uh, sermon that Peter preached in in Acts chapter 10. And uh, Peter was preaching. And when he said, Let it be known to you that in this man is preached the forgiveness of sins. And when he said the forgiveness of sins, because the people who were listening to him believed, the Holy Spirit interrupted his sermon. (laughs) And they began to speak with tongues. And they were saved without an altar call. In fact... Peter said what happened was that God, who knows people's hearts, confirmed their salvation by giving them the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, there's a lot of arguments about salvation whether a person's saved, whether a person's not saved. There's a lot of, I mean, I've seen debates on it and stuff. And men always want to see whether a person really is genuinely converted or not. Because, and the way they want to see it is by your performance. But do you know, you can have a person who's unsaved that looks saved. You can have a person that looks saved. Who, see what I'm saying? You can have a person who's not saved that looks saved. You can have a person that is saved that doesn't look saved. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, talking to carnal believers, he said, you live like mere men. So you can't tell on the outward appearance until you have some time for fruit to be produced in the life of a person. But God doesn't need to see works to know what's in a man's heart. In fact, that's what Peter said. He said um, that God, who knows the heart, this isn't in the scripture I'm going to read, confirmed it by giving them the Holy Spirit. So he was telling this, And then he says this in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. He says, Now therefore, why do you test God? Man, that's some powerful language right there. Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What is the yoke that he's talking about? It's the yoke of the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's righteous and holy and perfect and good. The problem is that we're not. And we've talked about the fact that the only way to be right according to the law is you have to be perfect. You can't just have the law. You can't even just know the law. But you have to do the law, all of it, all of the time. And in fact, that means from the moment you're born to the day you die, you have to have kept every jot and every tittle in order to be made right according to the law. What the law was supposed to show us is that we could never produce the righteousness of God by our own self-effort and by our own performance. So that we would, when Christ came and he offered himself as a sacrifice, as a substitute, For sin. To pay the full debt of sin for all men for all time. That we would see the value in His sacrifice. And we would put all of our trust. All of our hope. All of our faith in what He did. And not what we have done or what we do. And God sees that faith. And He counts it. As the righteousness of God. By faith we receive as a gift. The very righteousness of God, perfect righteousness, is given to us as a gift by believing because we could never be perfectly righteous by performing. And so he says when you try to put people under the law again, you are testing God because God has ended that dispensation In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is about trying to drag these people out from under the old covenant and into the new. In unbelief, they were wanting to cling to the old test or the old covenant. And God was finished with that. Jesus fulfilled it. In fact, when Jesus hung on the cross and said, It is finished, he wasn't talking about the work of redemption, for it wasn't complete. He was talking about the dispensation of the old covenant was over with. Redemption wasn't complete until Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. He was talking about that the old covenant dispensation was complete because His sacrifice fulfilled it. And God was calling people out of that old way of relating to God and into the new way of relating to God by faith in the person and the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Mm. And I'm telling you, God was serious about it. In fact, you know, in 70 AD, because Jerusalem would not let go of legalism, God allowed the Romans to come in and besiege Jerusalem and destroy the temple. He's like, you're either going to stop this or it's going to be stopped for you. And that's exactly what happened. They were going through the motions in an old system that the book of Hebrews said was already obsolete and ready to vanish away. But men love to hang on to their performance because they can get their pride propped up by their religious devotion and looking down on other people by comparing themselves with other people. And as long as I'm better than somebody else, then I feel good about myself. But the problem is, is we're never called to compare ourselves to our neighbor. We're never called to compare ourselves to our brother or our sister. We're never called to compare ourselves to some other person. We are called to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And if we compare ourselves to Him... We realize that we all fall short of the glory of God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul or Peter was saying that this is a yoke that was not able to be borne by them nor their fathers. And then he says, "But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they." See, the Jews thought that the Gentiles needed to be saved in the same way way they thought they were being saved. They thought they were being saved because, first of all, they were born a Jew, and second of all, they had the law. They They had the law. But Peter said what he realized is that the Jews had to be saved the same way as the Gentiles, by grace through faith. He realized, and he upheld the law by actually not trusting in his own righteousness anymore and putting his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ to make him righteous. In fact, he turned his back on everything. He says that in Philippians chapter 3. Everything that I once trusted in, all of my background, my pedigree, all of my props, all of the things that I had accomplished, he said, I counted them as dung. To receive Christ. Turned his back on everything. He realized that everyone is saved the same way. By grace through faith. But the point of it is. Is that the law is a yoke of bondage. Look at this in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Jesus is talking. Talking to the Jews who had been under this. Bondage of trying to. Make themselves righteous by their own performance. And he says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why were they laboring and heavy laden? Because they were trying to be their own savior. They were laden, heavy laden, under the burden of the law and trying to use it to justify themselves before God, which was never the purpose of the law to begin with. Jesus says this, Take my yoke. Have you ever wondered why he said that? Because Jewish rabbis referred to the law as a yoke, but they spoke of it in a positive sense. Because to them, it... It promoted and elevated them. Oh, man. And uh, so they saw it as this uh, positive thing to take on the yoke of the law. But Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Listen to this language. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, which in the King James it says, learn of me, which I think is actually Correct. It's not just learn from Jesus, but it's learn of Him. Learn who He is and what He came to do and what He accomplished on our behalf. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, the law was not that. The law was rigid The law demanded perfection. The law demanded righteousness, but did nothing to provide righteousness. Or did nothing to assist you in producing righteousness in your life. The law demanded it, but it did nothing to assist us or to assist people in accomplishing that. Jesus says, for my yoke is easy i tell you what, try keeping the law. You'll find out it ain't easy. <laughs> it's, they, rabbis counted up to 615 separate laws. Can you imagine even knowing what they all are, much less keeping them? You know, uh, most people, even people who will say, well, I believe you need to keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved, you can ask them, can you even quote the Ten Commandments? And most of them will fall short of even being able to tell you what the ten are. Well, listen, if you are really that serious about believing you must keep them in order to be saved, then I would think you better get to at least being able to understand what they are. (laughs) I mean, if you seriously believe that, then you better get to it. (laughs) But God gave them the ten, and they broke the ten before Moses even got down the mountain. (laughs) Man, God had to tell Moses, you better get down there. They've already messed up. And Moses had to break the tablets before he even got down there, or everybody would have been dead. Man. See... The law was not a yoke of liberty. It was a yoke of bondage. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. That's the yoke we need to take. I remember the Lord said to me one time that believers need to take off the yoke of earning, put on the yoke of learning. The labor of the believer is to learn of Jesus. That is the labor. Take off... But most believers are wearing this yoke of earning. And they're just as burdened and heavy laden as these people were before Jesus died on the cross. And we're on this side of the cross. We're on the side where we're living in the fulfillment of everything that was only prophesied in the old. We're living in the substance of what they only had the shadow of in the Old Testament. Yet many believers are living way below what Jesus has provided for them because they're still operating in Old Covenant mindsets. Maybe not completely Old Covenant, but mixture. So that's where the deception is. It's not a complete departure from New Covenant ideas or principles. It's a mixture. That's what the Apostle Paul was so angry about in Galatians chapter 1. He said, "You've mi- they are mixing the law with grace. And it's this mixture that is so deceptive. But most of us have cut our teeth on a mixture of law with grace. And we've wondered why we haven't experienced the liberty that Jesus died to provide us. Listen, it's not on God's end. He's not withholding from us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's made us partakers of the divine nature through the promises that He's given to us in His Word. But we're trying to receive from God by our own performance. Trying to qualify ourselves. Trying to earn the blessings of God rather than receive them based on what Jesus has done for us we're deceived we've been duped by the devil by operating by the same principles that God gave to people who were not even born again who were dead spiritually who could only operate by the flesh but when Jesus rose again and the Holy Spirit was sent we now have God living in us And He lives through us. He empowers us to live the life of God's design. That's the difference. Is that now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are justified and able to receive God living within. Through Jesus and faith in Him, we are in Him and He is in us. And the yoke of Jesus, He empowers us to walk in the righteousness of God. To where before the, the law demanded it, but did nothing. Did, lifted not a finger to help. Now we live out the righteousness of God purely by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through grace and faith in Jesus and what He's done for us. You know, a yoke, honestly, a yoke really makes the load lighter. When you yoke up two animals... It's a lot easier for two than it is for one. So when you get yoked to Jesus, come on somebody. You get yoked up with Jesus and you get understanding what he's done for you. And you're yielding to him and his power in your life. He's able to help you walk in everything God designed you to walk in. He will produce the righteousness of God through you. Yes. Listen, Jesus fulfilled the law by Himself. So being yoked with Jesus, He don't need your help. He's helping you. <laughs> the yoke of Jesus. Come on. Yes. The only reason there's any burden to it at all is because it requires you to learn. But a lot of people find that to be a heavy burden. <laughs> but honestly, I'm just learning of what all he has done and accomplished in me through his perfect work. And so, I'm not going to take credit for anything. It's being yoked to him. You know, it's like he's pulling me along. <laughs> I mean, I'm beside him. We are, we are walking through life together Um, And he's empowering that. And you know, I've already proven my inability to do it. If I could do it, he wouldn't have had to die. But we couldn't. So that's why he came. And that's why he died for us. The law is not a yoke of liberty. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 3, I don't have these scriptures up here. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3... Paul calls the old covenant law administration of death and administration of condemnation. So when people try to take on the yoke of the law, you know what they experience? Condemnation and death. So condemnation will kill you. And the only way to get out from under condemnation is to come under the ministry of righteousness, which is what he calls the New Covenant. A ministry of righteousness and life. That sounds much better to me than condemnation and death. So <laughs> you got to see, if people are embracing the law, thinking that's the right thing to do, when it's not, it's the wrong thing to do. Okay? So... Look back, Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now really, circumcision for religious purposes is not an issue today. Paul has so clearly and concisely communicated the fact that circumcision profits you nothing in regard to being justified, the people really don't struggle with that today. But what it represented was that when a Gentile became a proselyte, he would be circumcised, and that was the sign that he was taking on the whole law. So anything you add to for you to do to qualify yourself is the same as circumcision was then. And there's a lot of different things that people put into uh, as a requirement Mm. that uh, it's the same. And here's what Paul says in the next verse. Listen to this. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. See, just goes back to you don't keep the part you want to keep. If you're going to come under the law, you're obligated to keep all of it. That's what this word debtor means. It's, oh, I can't remember how you say it. Anyway, it's a Greek word where we get the word for obligation. What he's saying is if you do anything to make yourself justified or make yourself more spiritual in a way that's earning it, you're obligated to keep the whole law now. You don't carry part of the burden and Jesus carries part. Either he carries it all or you carry it all yourself. Hmm. That's what he's saying. If you become he was telling them, if you become circumcised in order to be justified, then you're a debtor now. See, it's the same it's the same word used talking about our debt that we owed for sin. Jesus paid that in full. But if you want to pay part of it, Jesus ain't going to pay part and you pay part. He's a, he, he'll let you pay yourself if you want to. You can do that. You absolutely can. But you're not going to pay part and him pay part. You're either going to carry it all yourself, pay it all yourself, or he, you can accept what he paid for you Okay, but the moment you begin to do anything to pay yourself, you're obligated to carry the whole debt. <clears throat> Look at verse four: you have become estranged from Christ. some translations say alienated, some say severed. Does that mean a person isn't saved anymore? That's not what I say. It's saying you have you have been, uh, in fact, the word estranged means to make of no effect. What he's saying is everything Christ did for you, you've just nullified its effectiveness in your life because you've turned from trusting in what he did and now you're trusting in what you're doing to justify you, to qualify you, to, uh, to cause you to to earn or be uh, qualified to receive something from God. How many people though have that in their thinking? You know, when we're needing a miracle or something. We're needing some kind of healing. We start bartering with God. <sighs> Where does that come from? Where does that come from? We come by it honest. But it's a misunderstanding. Of two different covenants. We start bartering with God. We think that, well, if I'll read enough chapters, then God will be impressed and He'll give me what I need. (laughs) Oh, come on, don't look at me like that. I know y'all have all done it. That's part of immaturity. You got to go through the process. Of coming to the place where you understand correctly. We've all done that. We've all thought that way. You know, well, you know, because people, you've probably heard people say this, I don't know why God hadn't healed me. Yeah, you know, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, as if that's what qualifies you. It shows right there, those statements clearly reveal where your faith is. Not in Jesus, not in the blood, not in the sacrifice, not in the death, not in the burial, not in the resurrection, not in the fact that he's seated at the right hand of God and you're seated there with him. None of that stuff. It's because you went to church, (laughs) it's because you read your Bible. All of those things are important. In fact, coming to church exposes you to teaching that causes you to think about things and for you to pursue the understanding of what's being taught. The Bible, the Word of God, is our lens for truth where we can see the world the way God intended us to see it. Praying, it's our communication with God. It's the way that we breathe spiritually. All of those things are important, but they don't impress God in order to for you to earn something from Him to where He goes, okay, you've read enough chapters this week. I'll go ahead and grant you your wish. <laughs> We're treating God like a genie in a bottle that we rub. And... But I mean, the people have those mindsets. Where does that come from? It comes from relating to God on legal basis. See, covenant language is not legal language. It's a relational language. Covenant's about relationship. God committed to us in covenant and we respond to what He's done. We don't do and He responds to us. In fact, He made the covenant before you were ever born. That's a wonderful thing being on this side of the cross is the work of Jesus was done before you were ever even born. Before you were born, before you did anything good or bad, Christ already died in your place. He already suffered your punishment. He already paid your debt. How do we get mixed up in this way of thinking? Well, we've, got, we've been taught it. It's been preached. Okay. Get off my soapbox here. You've become estranged from Christ. What happens is when you stop trusting in Him, you start trusting in yourself. Then what He has done becomes ineffective in your life. You who attempt to be justified by law. You notice there it doesn't even say the law. It just says law. Because it's not just the law of Moses. It's any law. And Christians, are, you know, and we're really good about making our own laws out of things God never even made a law about. We do it all the time. And what's crazy to me is that we think laws we make can justify us when laws God made don't even justify us. He says, you have fallen from grace. What that means is you've fallen out of grace. You have relinquished grace. You have relinquished relating to God on the principle of grace. And now you're relating to God on the principle of your works. That's what it means to have fallen from grace. I I heard people say that phrase, fallen from grace, you know, years ago. And I thought that meant, oh, I lost my salvation. See, we just we we just because of religious mindsets, we just assume things are saying certain things. Falling from grace isn't talking about you've fallen from sin, fallen into sin. It's actually you've fallen into the lie that you can justify yourself by your performance. You've fallen out of the principle. Of grace governing your relationship with God. And now you're relating to God on legal basis. Listen, guys. Jesus came to reveal that God is our Father. That's a relational term, not a legal term. We've got this legalistic mindset that keeps us from a, at a distance to where we don't relate to God properly. He's our father. I already shared this with you. That he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts whereby we cry, "Abba, Father." The same phrase Jesus used in prayer toward God is the same phrase now we use toward God in prayer. Why? Because he's as much your father as he is Jesus's father. If you've been born again, if you haven't been born again, then that's not true. But if you've been born again, he, he is as much your father as he is Jesus' father. You have just the pr- same privilege to call him Abba Father as Jesus called him Abba Father when he was here. Why? Because as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who were, I taught you this already, born of God. I think a lot of times people have this idea about being born of God that it's just in principle. But I'm telling you, it's literal. When you're born again, you're born of the Spirit of God. Literally, your Spirit becomes a new creature. Mm. <laughs> you know, Paul wasn't just waxing poetic when he said, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. He was making a statement of fact. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. I have the DNA of God spiritually. I have some human DNA as well. But the more... See, the thing about genetics is you have two kinds of genes. You have dominant genes and recessive genes. And you know what renewing your mind does? It causes the God genes to become dominant. Yes. Oh. And it causes the human genes to become recessive. Yes. Yes. Mm. See, it's through the renewing of our mind that we are transformed. See, the works already happened on the inside. Transformation isn't me becoming something I'm not. It's the revealing of what I truly am. It's the revealing of who you truly are in Christ as a new creation. That as you renew your mind and your mind gets renewed to the reality of Christ on the inside of you, the God genes on the inside of you become dominant. And they begin to overtake the influence of the human genetics that's on the inside of you. You begin to walk as a new creation empowered by the Spirit of God. You're not trying to be something you're not. It's the unveiling and the revealing of who you truly are. Righteousness isn't a foreign thing to a believer. It's who we really are. The word righteousness, is it's been said that it means right standing with God, and that's true, but that's only a partial definition. Righteousness means man as he ought to be. Man as he was meant to be. Man as he was intended to be. When I receive Jesus, I receive the righteousness of God. I am a son of God made in His image and made in His likeness. I'm redeemed back to what God always intended me to be. It's not me trying to be something. It's not me trying to white knuckle and just act right. It's the unveiling and the revealing of who I truly am. It's the flesh getting out of the way. And the Spirit coming to the forefront. That's why the Bible calls it fruit. You ever see a tree do this? Trying to produce. (laughs) You ever walk by a tree and harvest something that's grunting, trying to. They don't do that. Why? It's just producing the fruit. It's doing what it was created to do. It's doing what it was created to do. Verse 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Not by works, by faith. You know, what is the hope of righteousness? Ultimately, it's the new body. Oh, man, we're going to have a glorified body. Our redemption will be totally complete. Won't be dealing with this fallen man anymore. This outer shell. That's the ultimate. But in this life, the hope of righteousness, Paul said, is that we are freed from the penalty of sin. Man, what, what? Christ died in our place so that we could be freed from the penalty of sin. We're not destined unto wrath. I better take a drink of this because i got to be in the right spirit to say this. Religious teachers, they, want to dang, they think if they dangle you over hell, you'll act right. Ooh, wow, that's, that's about all I have to say about that. <laughs> if the only thing keeping you acting right is your fear that you may go to hell if you don't, then you don't have a very good relationship with God. Because the ultimate goal of raising a child is not that you have to threaten them. Yes. is that they end up learning and maturing and walking in the wisdom that you're able to impart to them. Man, they're trained. That's That's God's intent. It's not to, you know, hang you over hell. But it's... The hope of righteousness, we're freed from the penalty of sin. That's the first revelation in the doctrine of salvation. Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 21 through Romans chapter 4, verse 20, or Romans chapter 5 is the doctrine of salvation in the first dimension, which is you're freed from the penalty of sin. In fact, Paul said it like this He said, by the disobedience of one man. Many were made sinners. Who was that? Adam. But by the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous, freed from the penalty of sin. People get nervous when you talk like that. Whoa, don't tell them that. (laughs) Don't tell them that. You take away the voice of the taskmaster. They're just going to go wild. People are going wild anyway. I don't know if you noticed. People say like, you're giving them a license to sin. People sin without a license all the time. Problem is, in the church, they just do it in private. They hide it. <laughs> I didn't intend on saying any of that, so... <laughs> But the second thing is to be freed from the power of sin. See, it's not just freed from the penalty of sin, but be freed from the power of sin. I'll tell you what, that's what I really came to Jesus for. I wanted deliverance. Because when I got saved, man, my life was trash. (laughs) I'm telling you, it was destruction. Destruction. I was hurting everybody around me. I was hurting myself. Seemed like every decision I made was wrong. Even when I was trying to do right, I was doing wrong. I didn't know the gospel, though. I still had a legalistic mentality. I grew up in church, had this real legalistic mindset. As soon as I got old enough to not have to go, I ran as far from church as I could get. God let me run. I ran myself right into the Creek County Jail, and I met Jesus there. <laughs> I had no idea he was there, but who knew? <laughs> but I would ran myself so hard into destruction, my prayer was crying out to Jesus for deliverance. You know, really, what's wrong with presenting a ticket to hell, a ticket to heaven and out of hell? Is that that's all people think they're getting. They don't have the idea of wanting to be free from the power of sin. But this says we eagerly wait. This means an intense desire to be liberated. Liberated from not only the penalty of sin, but the power of it. Man. I was sick and tired of the life that I was living. And Jesus came in and he, beyond all of my imagination, he delivered me out of that life, man. I'm saying, I mean, I stumbled and fallen along the way. But a righteous man falls seven times, get back up again. That's the difference. We got Christ with us now. Working within and without. Yeah. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working by love. That's, what, that's the key. Faith works by love, not by fear. Faith, uh, uh, faith and fear are not opposites. A lot of people think they are, but it's actually fear and love are opposites. Because it's love that casts out fear. Problem is, people try to deal with fear with faith. And they're trying to faith it out. <laughs> if you just get a revelation of the love of God, fear would leave. Why? Because love will cast out fear. Fear. And when it's talking about love, it's the word agape. It's the love of God. In fact, he goes down in 1 John, which I read, I think it was last week. It says, perfect love casts out fear. Well, you know, people also try to get fear out of their life by their love for God. That ain't going to work either. Because your love for God isn't perfect love. Your love for God is a level of love, but you're growing in that. According to your revelation of his love for you. Mm. We love God to the degree that we understand his love for us. It's, 1 John 4 teaches it's love, God's love to us. God's love in us. If you, if you abide in the love of God. And God's love through us. That's when love is made perfect in your life. Faith works by love. When you know you're loved, faith isn't an issue. In fact, works, the word works means activated. Love activates, not just any love. The love of God activates your faith. See, why do, where do people struggle with faith? Is they know God can... They just don't know if he will for them. That's where people struggle with faith. They know God can. If you're a Christian, and even people, well, I'm going to leave that alone. But among charismatic circles, we know, we believe God can do anything. Where people struggle, though, with faith is they don't know if he'll do it for them. And the reason why is because they're basing it on their performance rather than on Jesus' performance. And what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection was the demonstration of the love of God. Romans 5.8, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's that mean? Why does it say yet sinners Because what it's saying is that when we had been proven without a doubt to be a sinner and unable to do anything about it, Christ died in our place. (laughs) See, he did for us what we didn't deserve, what we could never earn, and what we could never accomplish. He did it for us. He had to. He knew he had to. He knew if he gave us any part to play, that we'd mess it up. In fact, he gave the law and he let it hang out there for a couple thousand years. He said, I'm going to let you all just keep till you get the revelation that you cannot do this yourself. That was the purpose. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Where am I at? <laughs> it's faith working through love. Love activates faith. It can't be faith working through fear. It's faith working through love. Then he says in verse 7, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What's he talking about there? Obeying the truth. Immediately, we always see the word obey. And we think it's obedience to some sort of command. Obedience. uh, The obedience to the truth. If you understand Colossians 1.5 talks about that the gospel is the word of truth. I don't know if I have that verse here. Let me read this to you just to show you this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven... Of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. This is New King James. Uh, If you look at, I think it might be the ESV, it says, In the word of truth, comma, the gospel. Which is saying that the word of truth is the gospel. And obedience to the truth or to the gospel is to believe it. You know what Israel's disobedience was? They rejected it. Oh, man. I'm trying to get further, but... You know on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached? You know what he said to them? He said, Let it be known to you that this in this man, uh, that God has made the, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And the Bible says they were cut to the heart. You know what they realized? We crucified the Messiah. Oh, man. They, their revelation was that they had rejected the Messiah and had him crucified. And you know what they said? What shall we do, brethren? And Peter said, "Repent." Now I don't know about you. I'm just sharing my thoughts. When I, as I grew up, my thought, any time I saw the word repent, it was dealing with me repenting of some action of sin that I had done. That was just my immediate thought. But Peter, what was he telling them to repent of? Their unbelief. What was Israel's sin? Unbelief in the gospel. They rejected it. Peter was saying, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. The word baptized means identified. What he was saying is, change your thinking about who Jesus is, the one you crucified, and believe the gospel. Repent of your unbelief and believe the gospel and be identified with Jesus. And you'll be saved. Hmm. That was extra, so I don't know if you got anything out of that or not. But obedience to the gospel is to believe it. Disobedience to the gospel is to reject it. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Let me go back to that. Do you know what um, uh, this persuasion he's talking about? was the persuasion that people had come in and told, got them off of trusting in Jesus alone and into trusting in their religious duties and obligations. That's the persuasion that he's talking about. Does not come from him who calls you. Verse 9, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now I want to, Expand on this for just a few minutes, and then we'll close. Leaven, if you know anything about leaven, that when you put leaven in dough, it permeates the entire dough and transforms it. In fact, I think it's a great illustration, because what it does is it puffs it up. And when you put leaven in dough, it don't take very much. Just a little will permeate the entire dough. What's he saying here? If you let a little bit, and the leaven that he's talking about is the leaven of legalism. And he's saying, you let a little bit in, it'll permeate your entire belief system. It will affect... Your whole way of relating to God if you let a little in. Which is why, I'm going to have to refer back. When we talked about the allegory of Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac last week, that's why the Bible prescribes to expel Hagar and Ishmael. They had to be removed from the house. Look at this. It's right there. I'm going to read it. Galatians 4, verse 30. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. What is this? Legalism and Ishmael is self-effort. You have to get rid of them. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman will not inherit or shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. As long as Ishmael's still living in the house, you're not going to be able to partake of your inheritance. Why? Because Ishmael is constantly going to be scoffing and mocking at your belief that you can actually walk in and receive the life and the benefits and the blessings of the kingdom of heaven, even here on the earth. No, that's so good. No. We, t- we talked about the story a little bit last week, but go to Genesis chapter 21, and what you find out is on the day of Isaac's weaning, Abraham threw a party. And what happened? Sarah caught Ishmael scoffing at Isaac. And she said, she went to Abraham, she said, get that kid and his mom out of here. Or he's not going to dwell in this place and be heir with my son. And that is, Paul is using that showing that as long as you keep legalism in the house, even if you put him over in the corner, if Ishmael's still here, and here's the problem this is what I was saying last week. Why do we keep it around? Because we're afraid. What's going to keep me living right? What's going to keep me living right? If I get rid of the law, won't I go crazy? <laughs> I know I don't have time, but I will say this, it's not law that brings liberty, it's love. It's not law that brings liberty. In fact, liberty trumps law, but love trumps liberty. Lord. I don't know if you got that or not. Law doesn't bring liberty. Liberty trumps law, but love trumps liberty. The purpose of liberty is love. Because God isn't just wanting to do something in you. His intent in the dispensation that we live in is a corporate manifestation of Christ. Christ. And the problem is that in the church is that we've been so law-minded that we've been caught up in comparison and competition instead of serving one another in love. Oh, man. See, that's what law does is it puts you in competition with other people. We think we're running a race against other people. The only race you're running is against yourself. And Jesus already at the finish line. He's already walked through your life and He's standing at the end of it. (laughs) It's not law, it's love, guys. We have got to get, and as long as you have a legalistic mentality, you're not truly serving God out of love. (sighs) Man, I remember years ago, When the Lord showed me this, that if I was thinking that I had to qualify myself or I was trying to, it's actually self-centered. My concern wasn't God. It was me. (laughs) I thought I was dangling over hell still. (laughs) I was trying to, man, I'm trying to climb the rope. (laughs) See what I'm saying? It's self-centered. Only when you know you're liberated can you actually truly serve out of love. Only when you know you're not obligated can you actually serve out of love. You have to be free first before you can actually serve out of a pure heart and a sincere faith. You have to know you're free. And the example of it is in the Old Testament. The story about a, sla- about a bond slave. What God said is you couldn't keep a slave over seven years. At the end of seven years, they had to be released. Man, this is a picture of Christ. What he did for us. Seven is the number of completion. It's talking about we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to the law. We were slaves to the flesh. And Jesus set us free. But But the slave had an option at the end of seven years. He could walk out and go live his life. Or, if he loved his master, he could choose to stay. (sighs) He could choose to stay and he could serve, not because he was obligated to, but out of love because he wanted to. Mm, We got to get, man, we have got to get to that place. Because as long as you're serving out of law, it's a burden. But when it's out of love, it's a blessing. Mm. And you can't ever serve out of love till you know you're free. I know I'm free. I could I do what I want. But you know what? I want. That's what the that's what the born again ex- experience is. When you get the revelation of the gospel, he changes your want to. (laughs) It changes from a have to to a want to. And it goes from obligation. When you really see what Christ has done, the magnitude of it, your mindset changes from obligation to fascination. You can't get enough. Hmm. I remember in the early days right after Rhonda and she just rededicated. I I just had a total radical conversion. And we had services when we started our church. We were in a barn. We had air conditioning units and a wood stove in the winter. People came, we put blankets on. And we would sit out there and talk about the Lord after church till midnight. People might have to say, everybody's got to (laughs) leave. We weren't there because we were obligated. We're fascinated. Mm. Man. You can get a whole lot more. Man. I just... (sighs) Lord, thank you so much. Oh, you've given us everything. Father God, I just pray and just give thanks to you for the goodness, for your goodness revealed through the gospel, Father. Thank you that we're not in this legal relationship with you where we're trying to, you know, to convince you Or persuade you about us that your gospel is given to persuade us about you and to bring us to the place where we can be free to live the life that you created for us to live. A life that's free from sickness and disease, a life that's free from condemnation and shame and guilt. A life that's free from addictions and disorders and destruction and all kinds of death. But a life that's free to live in the blessing and the benefits of God. Oh, we won't forget your benefits, Father. You who forgives all of our iniquities. Who heals all of our diseases. Who redeemed our life from the pit. Who crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Who satisfies our mouth with your word with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Hallelujah. So we can run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you, Father God. And I just speak life and wholeness over this congregation that everybody under the sound of my voice that's heart is open to receive, Father God. I just speak life. The very divine life of God manifesting in their physical body right now in the name of Jesus. Respiratory issues, I feel like right now, just the the breathing in of the life of God, the Spirit, the Spirit of God is the breath of God. I just feel like, just right now, if you have respiratory issues you've been struggling with, I just want you to lay your hand on your chest and just... Recognize, or just imagine, you are breathing in God's spirit. Oh, and that He—it is the life of God—is—is rectifying this situation and healing and making whole your lungs right now. In the name of Jesus, yes, right there, I see that. In the name of Jesus, no more struggle. No more struggle in that that your lungs are receiving of the life of God and being made whole right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place, Father. Oh, that you've invited us in. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Abba, Father, you've invited us in. We belong here. This is what we were made for. To dwell in the presence and in the house of the Lord forever. So we just come to the table right now. We thank you, Father, that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That means not in heaven, but right here on earth where our enemies are. You've prepared a table for us. And when you come to the table, you come to partake. So whatever it is that you have need of... Just see it. It's on the table right there in front of you. God's provided it. Every blessing, every blessing is yours. And the enemy can only sit to the side and watch as you take a big heap and helping of whatever it is that you need in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I just see, uh, I saw lungs, but I just see hearts being made whole, strengthened right now in the name of Jesus. Hearts strengthened. If that's you, Lay your hand on your heart. Thank God that He's provided a healthy heart. A brand new heart. A heart that functions in perfection the way God intended for it to function. Right now, in the name of Jesus. A perfect heart. Not only perfect physically, but perfect spiritually toward God. Mm. Yeah, I see that. He's not just talking about physical hearts. He's talking about spiritual hearts. A heart that's been divided by sin consciousness and sun consciousness. Now being made whole in the revelation of the truth of the gospel. A spiritual heart. A heart that's free. And a heart that's toward God. Right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I know it's just kind of there's just a peace in this place I feel like. But I think let's just in one as one. Let's just let's just make a joyful noise to the Lord. Can you just clap your hands and shout to the Lord? Thank you, Father. We magnify you. We praise you. We glorify you. We're thankful for you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, you, Father God, that you're touching people's lives in this place. You're touching people online right now in the name of Jesus. Listen, and we're going to close that way that You can go get your kids and and things, but there are ministers here in the front at the end of service. We're here to minister to you if there's anything that you have need of. If you need somebody to agree with you in prayer so that you can see an answer that you need, come up. If you've never received Jesus before, uh, we want to invite you to come up for that. Uh, If you've never spoken tongues, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can get it all here tonight, one place. Just don't leave. Come see us. We love you. Be with us Sunday morning uh, at 10 a.m. It's going to be a powerful time. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Amen. You don't want to miss. God bless you. You're dismissed.